Welcome to Legal Legends of the Bluegrass. Today's guest is Richard Hay, who practices with the firm of Hay and Knight in Somerset, Kentucky. In his nearly four-decade career, Richard has won numerous awards and accolades, including serving as a past president to the Kentucky Justice Association and winning the organization's prestigious Peter Perlman Trial Lawyer of the Year Award. In our discussion today, Richard was kind enough to walk through numerous stories of his career, including perhaps the most interesting first trial assignment a new attorney could ever have. We hope that you enjoy today's episode. Richard, good morning. How are you this morning? I'm fine. Thank you. Richard, uh, on behalf of the KJA, I really appreciate you agreeing to join in for our podcast and talk with me today. We're really thankful to have great attorneys like yourself that have agreed to sit down and talk with us a bit about their career. Well, and I, I, you know, I kind of resisted it. I didn't return your calls early on. It's not really the type of thing I like to do or talk about, but, uh, you know, I got a call from Marisa t- saying I need to do this. So I said, yes, ma'am. And here we are. So, yeah, you were one of the, uh, people she identified that, uh, she knew you have a, a lot to talk about and that people would really enjoy hearing from you. So I, I'm excited for us to be sitting here today. Well, that just means I'm old. <laughs> You know, you, you accumulate experience and stories and things over the years. And, uh, you know, I, I still practice. I mean, I, I, and, and, you know, I've been practicing 40 years and my daughter's been with me for 12, 13 now. And I just, I mean, I still love it. I just love to practice along, always have. Uh, just lucky to get into it. We're, we're all lucky we don't have to go work for a living. Uh, it's, it's gotten harder in the last little bit, I think. Uh, but still, it, we're lucky to be able to do this for a living. I totally agree. And uh, I've been fortunate to get to know you a little bit as we've gotten ready to talk today, um, as where I didn't beforehand. For the folks out there who don't know you, Richard, tell us a bit about yourself uh, and your career. Well, okay. Uh, actually born in Texas, but my father's in the Air Force, and we came back to Kentucky, and I grew up in Kentucky from Clinton County down on the Tennessee line, Albany, uh, and uh, actually went to community college here in Somerset where I practice and then went to University of Kentucky and law school at University of Kentucky. And then not knowing any better, I came back and opened an office out of the blue in Somerset. Uh, if I'd have known how, how stupid and dangerous that was, I probably wouldn't have done it, but I did. Um, so I just started a private practice. Uh, truthfully, I wanted to, I really wanted to do criminal work. Uh, but I, I, I could tell you about a little situation, what, what ended my criminal practice. Uh, but basically I found out you're pretty much representing a bunch of criminals. Uh, and, and I like civil work and, and, you know, I, I was, I had the uh, good fortune in law school. I had litigation skills under Joe Savage, amazing lawyer. I had advanced litigation skills under Pete Perlman. And that's what got me into KJA when we talk about that. Of course, it was CATA at the time. But so I, I, I love civil work, and, and, but I really thought I wanted to do, you know, criminal work sounded more exciting. Uh, and, and that's pretty much what, what paid my bills for the first four or five years or maybe longer is uh, I did a, uh, I would be hired as the conflict attorney by the local public defender's office. 
anywhere, anytime they had two or more defendants, they, they can only represent one. And, you know, they had to find attorneys to represent the others. And uh, I got a lot, not a whole lot of trial experience, but a whole lot of court experience. And I got, I mean, I took cases in, you know, maybe 10 or 12 counties uh, where I would, you know, I'd be appointed to represent somebody and, you know, you show up the next day for arraignment and, and, and do whatever. So, you know, I got a lot of courtroom, uh, being in the courtroom, no, you know, seeing a lot of judges. They didn't treat you that good because you were just a, you know, public defender in their eyes. But, but you know, started out doing that and, and quite a bit of experience. And uh, you've told me a little bit about this before, but I think there's one, one story in particular. It sounds like you did get some, uh, some trial experience pretty quick. Well, yeah, I did tell you that. Um, it, Actually, my very first trial, I'd been, I'd been out of law school maybe six months and I'd set up my office and I had a law school classmate who was assistant Commonwealth attorney in Clinton and Wayne. And uh, uh, they, were, they were having a, a felony trial of this, this man and he was charged with soliciting the murder of the setting circuit judge, Leonard Wilson, who was the circuit judge in Clinton, Wayne and Russell. And I learned all that, I, I get a call and it says, and, and my friend called me and said, hey Richard, we're sitting here in the Wayne Circuit Court where the defendant has shown up and the judge told him to have a lawyer, but he doesn't have a lawyer. And we've got the jury here and we're trying the case today and we're looking for somebody to represent him. You wanna come down and represent him and try this case? And of course I said, I'll be right there. I uh, didn't have anything to do and I drove down there and of course, you know, I moved for, you know, uh, actually kind of whispered, said, now be sure and move for a continuance, you know, so to protect the record. So I made this nice motion for a continuance and Judge Plez Jones was a special judge because the, the regular judge was the key witness who was gonna be murdered. Um, so, you know, I moved for a continuance and judge said, well, yeah, that's a good motion, but that'll be overruled. And it turns out the client, when he showed up in court that morning, he showed up drunk. He hit one of the jurors' cars in the parking lot. They had him in jail, but they brought him over and, uh, and uh, we, we tried the case. And uh, actually the, the key witness was that, that was supposedly was being hired to kill Judge Wilson it was actually somebody I'd gone to high school with. I mean, he was a big criminal. I knew him. He was a big liar, and everybody knew he was a big liar. Uh, and the jury, the jury was out like ten minutes and acquitted the guy. And uh, anyway, that was my first trial. Man, maybe you should have stuck with the criminal work. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, it might have been fixed. I don't know, but anyway, it was it was it was kind of fun. It was a good way to start without dreading it and worrying about it. I mean, I just thrown into it, but. You, you didn't have time to worry. <laughs> no, it wasn't funny at the time, but you know, now when I look back at it, it is kind of funny. Yeah, um, so if, did you, uh, when you came back home uh, to Somerset and you hung up your own shingle, was it just you or did you work with anybody at that time? No, just me, I just found an office, you know, upstairs, tiny office to rent a lawyer's office and just me and, and I'm not from Somerset. I mean, I just kind of came here out of the blue. I had gone to community college here. Uh, luckily, I had there were there were actually four or five attorneys in my class who had gotten jobs back in Somerset, 
So I knew a few, I didn't know anybody here and uh, they, they would, they would throw me business. I know the first client, I can remember the first client I had and I, I felt guilty, but I charged him $250 and it was to get to break a, a lease on a, on a condo at Woodson Bend cause you couldn't heat the things. And I know I ended up giving him 125 of it back after I broke his lease, but it, no, I, it was just out of the blue. So. And uh, so you tried the criminal work for a while, realized that wasn't maybe your cup of tea. Um, what got you into the civil work at that time? Well, of course, I, I started, you know, obviously I wanted to do civil work, but it just takes a while to, to get cases. But, you know, after I in court and, and, you know, other local attorneys, and there was no one back in those days. I mean, that was 1981, 82. You didn't really have people specialize. And in Somerset, it was just people that were, you know, a general practice that did everything, you know, small town practice. And I had decided I was not going to do that. I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to do trial work. So, you know, I started getting people to refer cases. And you got to remember back then, this is before the days of Highland versus Hayes. And, you know, you had comparative, well, it wasn't comparative, it was contributory negligence. I mean, you were 1% at fault, you lost. So it really weeded out the cases. And so, you know, I would get referrals to cases where, you know, there was a pretty good chance there was some contributory negligence involved. So, so I got some deep, you know, referring cases and picked some up and, you know, ended up trying a few little cases and getting verdicts. And so it kind of picked up. I will tell you what, what, what stopped my criminal career uh, I was I was assigned a client. It was a conflict case. Public is in Laurel County. Uh, public defender had it, and these two young men they went to a car lot and they they stole a car, threw the owner in the trunk, ended up killing him, and uh, uh, evidently the. In uh, one of them's cowboy boots, when he was in jail, they arrested him very quickly, but they had made a knife out of a metal shank that was in their boot. And they were the next attorney, whether it was me or the public defender that had the other one, when we showed up to the jail, they were gonna kidnap us, but they weren't gonna keep us because they knew that the, that the police would just shoot us to get to them. So they were gonna trade us for the jailer's wife. The jailer was Big John Bowling in Laurel County and you would meet in his kitchen. Um, so, but they knew that, you know, we were no protection, but they were going to trade the attorney for, like I said, Big John's wife and nobody would bother Big John's wife, you know, and, uh, and another inmate told one of the jailers what they were doing. And sure enough, so I didn't know this at the time, but they call the guy down and said, your attorney's here to meet you and comes down the stairs or elevator with a knife. And of course they arrest him. And uh, at that point, I, I kind of withdraw. I think there's a conflict of interest there. Uh, and I just said, you know, the hell with this. I, I got other things to do. So that, that was my last criminal case, I, I think. But. Yeah, I've, had, I've had some worries over my cases before, but I've, I've never had to worry about being kidnapped. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it was after the fact, anyway. Um, so when you started uh, doing your civil practice, Obviously, it evolved. Did certain cases interest you more than others, or did you begin, you know, looking for certain types of cases that you wanted to focus your work on? 
you know, it was any case I could get. And, and I, uh, of course, back then, you know, slip and fall cases were terrible. I mean, they were hard, hard to win just because of the law. Uh, obviously, auto cases, you had insurance. No, it really didn't matter. But as, as I got more into it, and uh, I'll tell you one of my early cases, it was a, it was a, a, a school bus wreck, but it wasn't a real school bus. It was where a school system had bought like 20 used telephone bands from AT&T or somebody. And they built wooden benches around the back, in the, in the back. And they were hauling children to and from school and one's in Iraq and a little girl was killed. And uh, I got that case. And then we ended up, you know, kind of making a product liability case out of it and, and just how, how bad it was. And I actually went to the Supreme Court on that case because not only did I file the, uh, uh, circuit court action involving the wrongful death and the use the school system using a, a you know very unsafe vehicle to haul children, um, and there were immunity issues. But back in those days, if there was insurance, sovereign immunity was was waived. And I wish we still had that. But anyway, end up going also filed a board of claims action against the. Uh, the state transportation department because they had approved these vehicles. And one of the cases uh, went up to the Supreme Court and uh, there was the, the Board of Claims, even at the time, it excluded claims for pain and suffering. But I made claims for each parent for the loss of affection and companionship of their 11 year old daughter. And uh, uh, Justice Charlie Leapson, uh, who was, you know, great justice, uh, wrote the opinion and said, yeah, uh, loss of affection and companionship, love and affection is not pain and suffering. And that each parent had that claim. So we kind of doubled the limit in the board of claims. And, and, and that's a published opinion. And I'm pretty proud of that. And that's kind of, I think, the basis for uh, now later, the General Assembly amended the Board of Claims Act and said, not only can you not get pain and suffering, you can't get any derivative loss of uh, you know, love and affection claim. Um, but I'm thinking the court kind of relied upon that in, uh, in uh, Ann O'Father's case where they said not only could a, there's a statute that allows a parent to recover for the loss of uh, affection and companionship of a minor child. And you know, in her Galani case or whatever, they adopted the reverse of that, that a minor child can also recover for loss of a parent. And, and I'm thinking, I believe they cited that case and relied on that to some degree. But anyway, that's one of, that's another story, I guess. That's, that's certainly something to be proud of and it helps us all out. Um, and and I, I did get involved and I don't remember the first one, but uh, I, I, I joined this organization and I don't know how I got in the first one. You know, then I started picking up a medical negligence case here and there and nobody, wanted them, at least not locally, nobody would do them. Uh, so I started doing some medical negligence and then I'm not sure what the first product case was, but, but had a product liability case. And I really, I mean, I grew up on a farm and I love to figure you know, how things work and the problem with things and engineering to some degree. So I started doing uh, uh, really product cases, what I enjoyed doing. And back in those days, actually you, you had, there was a lot more. I mean, car, 
I'm getting off track. Uh, cars are just safer now. The computer drives for you and keeps you from rolling over. But back at the time, I mean, you had you had unstable vehicles. You had the Jeep CJ, you know, the worst, uh, most unstable vehicle nearly in the history of, of anything. But you had those rollover cases. You had roof crush cases. You had, you know, you get into where they only had lap belt only. They didn't have shoulder harness. So I got into doing a lot of auto product cases, which I really loved doing. It felt like you were kind of, you know, at least you 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 could make, you felt like you were making a difference and you could tell the jury that they were making a difference. And that's, that's the best feeling because <laughs> it's true. And then, you know, so I really like those cases. I think you, you made a good point there. You know, there's not as many um, products cases these days and vehicles being safer, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that lawyers like yourself, these cases uh, and made vehicles safer and made these manufacturers make changes. It, it kind of was unbelievable to, for me to hear you talk about a van being modified by a school board with wooden benches being in it and our kids traveling in it. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's going a long way. And and there are. I mean, of course, you know, I'm sure everybody remembers hearing about the Pinto case. You know, you hit it in the rear and it explodes in the in the, uh, I think it's the Ivy document where Ford had calculated how many people are going to burn up and, you know, it's going to cost this amount to recall and it's going to cost this much to pay, to pay the people that burn up. And, you know, but since then, no, there has been a lot of change. And, and you know, I do think, and there's actually an organization I'll mention, it's, it's a kind of a subgroup of American trial lawyers. It's AIEG, Attorneys Information Exchange Group. And that's what they were formed many years ago and the share information. And it started out pretty much just auto product cases. Now it's broadened to a lot more than that. It's still a great organization and it's sharing of information because particularly in a product case, if you have a good product case, somebody else has already done it. And, and maybe 20 people's already done it. And when you can start sharing information and the hardest thing in the world is when you get the first one because you're expected to do a good job and then share that information. And I've had a couple of those, but, but no, uh, cars are safer. And, and it's a, it has, in my opinion, everything to do with, with product liability lawsuits and attorneys. I mean, Pete Perlman was very active in this and, and you know, had the, the several cases, door latch cases, the, the safety interlock where you can't start the minivan, unless you have your foot on the brake. So if you got a little kid sitting in the seat, they can't start the vehicle and put it in reverse or drive because they can't reach the gas pedal. So there's lots and lots of safety features and, and litigation has, has made a difference, a big difference. When, when I was looking at some of your cases and, and we were talking about your career a bit and getting ready for today, I, I know one of the cases that you and I have discussed uh, is the, the Prozac litigation uh, and Judge John Potter. Uh, you explain a little yeah, bit more about that case. I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of that case. Uh, I'm proud of John Potter. Uh, I wish we had every judge in Kentucky like him. Uh, I was not involved in the litigation. Obviously, the litigation, it, it arose, I think it's called West Becker, but it was where a disgruntled employee on Prozac went into when the Courier Journal, but it was the place that printed the newspaper and ended up 
shooting and killing. It was one of the early workplace crimes, shooting and killing a lot of workers. There were the victims. Uh, they found out, you know, he'd on Prozac and, that, and it was coming to light that Prozac would make you crazy uh, and do criminal acts, either harm yourself or harm others. And so they had a trial and uh, right near the end of trial, in closing, uh, just for a closing argument, in effect, what happened, the party settled the case. Oh, yeah. But they didn't tell the judge they settled the case. They said, oh, we're going to go, you know, we're going to go ahead and, you know, finish the case. So the judge had ruled this real key evidence was, had been, the door had been opened to the evidence and plaintiff could use this evidence, basically that Eli Lilly had pled guilty to a crime on another drug. Um, and, and the plaintiff didn't use that. Said, well, we're gonna save that for the punitive stage. Well, there was no punitive stage, it was bifurcated and, and Eli Lilly won. And just, you know, it became kind of apparent that maybe this wasn't really a true win, that there had been a settlement and there was some agreement to go ahead and let the jury decide without this damaging evidence. So Judge Potter kind of getting wind of this or, or thinking this may be the case, he, he put out an order, I want to hear it. I, rather than enter a judgment that this is a judgment for the defendant, I want to enter an order that this case is dismissed as settled. And I believe that, you know, there was a writ of prohibition filed and no, you can't do that and, and whatever. And uh, at the time, uh, I was president of the KJA. And I remember the uh, Pure Journal asked me to comment, you know, because the president of the KJA will comment for trial lawyers, and it was Cata then. But so I got a call and I said, yeah, this is outrageous. You know, if you intentionally withheld evidence and you, you it's kind of like, you know, taking, I, I think I said it's like taking a dive in a fight. And uh, Judge Potter read that in the newspaper. And he called me and said, are you serious about that? And I said, well, sure, I'm serious. You know, I said it. And he said, well, will you represent me? And I said, I'd be honored to. And uh, so we went, I'm sure it's a writ of prohibition. We went to the Court of Appeals. They said, no, you, you, can't, you can't hold a hearing. You can't reopen this. It's done. And we went to the Kentucky Supreme Court. And, and basically, our, our argument was it is the fundamental right of a trial judge who has to sign a judgment or order to know that it's correct and accurate. And a unanimous Supreme Court agreed and said, absolutely, the judge has this right. And then it went back and, and then he was going to hold a hearing. And then there was another writ of prohibition. And, you know, the, it got real personal and accusing Judge Potter of, of you know, kind of improper actions. And he just said, this isn't about me. And he recused from the, from the case on the second writ of, writ of prohibition. And then the case just kind of went away. But I was, I was very proud of that. And, uh, and it did. I mean, it was, it was that we want the courts to be honest and open. And that judges have, even though there's no rule that allows a judge to do that, you know, they're saying, well, the 10 days run, it's too late to alter, amend, or vacate. And, and so we have this great Supreme Court opinion in Kentucky. It's uh, Eli Lilly versus Potter, Judge John Potter. And uh, I, I, 
proud that I got to know John Potter and that. I mean, he's a great judge, great person. We hope you were enjoying this episode so far. Before we get back to the second half of our one-on-one, enjoy this message from KJA Platinum sponsor, Ringler Associates, Brad Cecil, Cindy Chanley, and Gail Christen, sponsors of Legal Legends of Bluegrass. On behalf of Brad Cecil, Gail Christen, and myself, Cindy Chanley, we'd like to thank you for tuning in. As your KJA Platinum sponsors, we appreciate all the work you do. As you continue in your practice, keep in mind that we at Ringler are your objective settlement advisors. If you have problems on any part of the settlement resolution, give us a call. We now return to our discussion with Richard Hay. You mentioned that that came about uh, during the time that that you were the president of KJA, or or what is now KJA. Um, How long have you been involved uh, with KJA over the years? You know, uh, longer than I've been a lawyer. Uh, when I, I mentioned earlier that I was in, uh, you know, I wanted to do trial work and in litigation skills, I was lucky enough. I mean, I didn't know who Pete Perlman was, but I heard that there's this uh, local attorney that had won these big cases and he taught litigation skills at the law school, advanced litigation skills. It was, you know, you took in, in th- I was third year law student and it was Pete Perlman. And he was very active in KJA, CADA, and he was moving up the ladder to the American, uh, you know, to uh, AJA, ATLA. And uh, so anyway, he, uh, uh, because of Pete, the KJA seminars, the, uh, the, the annual seminar and convention was a big deal. It started on Thursday and it went Thursday and Friday and went to noon Saturday. And I mean, did great speaker. So when, when in litigation skills class, you know, it's like if you guys want to make get extra credit, you all can attend the, the annual convention. And it was in Louisville that year. And uh, so I know my four or five of us friends in law school, we were in Pete's class. We all went. He got us in free, of course. And we went. And I know you heard Stanley Prizer. I don't know if you're from West Virginia. Stanley was just an amazing trial lawyer and speaker. And Scotty Baldwin. And you started hearing these national people. So it, when, when we saw that and heard that, I mean, that really hooked me on, on trial work. So, so I actually had went to uh, the KJA seminars before I got my law license. And then when, then when I you know, got my license and I moved here to Somerset, KJA back in those days, they would have monthly dinner meetings and they would go to, you know, Paducah one Thursday and once a month, uh, Bowling Green, and they came to Somerset just shortly after I was here and uh, at the Holiday Inn. And, you know, there wouldn't be 10 or 12 people there, but, it you know, the officers from KJA, CADA would show up. And I guess Larry Franklin might have been president. And I remember Larry shows up in a red Ferrari. And I'm thinking, hey, this is pretty cool, you know, this is, this must be pretty good work. But uh, that's when I first met Larry Franklin. And, and, and uh, but anyway, so, I, you know, I started attending the meetings and getting active and, and I don't know, just kept going. How exactly, um, you know, how did you become active? Um, and how did that benefit you, not only with your career, uh, but what you were trying to do, the kind of work you were wanting to do and advance KJA's interest at the time? Well, it was kind of, you know, 
I wanted to do what the KJA attorneys and CAD attorneys were doing. I mean, there were great lawyers in there, you know, but, uh, like I said, you know, Pete and, and, and Joe Savage and Bill Garmer and Andy Bushaw and Charlie Moore and, and, and just good lawyers all over. But most of them were from the larger towns. There weren't that many attorneys that, that were real active or, you know, wanted to trial practice from smaller towns. And, and I think because there was really no one in this area uh, that was that active in it and attending meetings. So finally, you know, they wanted me to become a board member. You know, I became a board member and, and you meet people and you, you meet such, you know, you, you meet people from all over the state, the, the members that show up and learn so much. So I just got very active in it, uh, attending all the meetings and got on the board of directors and became district vice president and then on the ladders and but yeah kja has been important for me from day one and it's not just the organization i mean it was the attorneys in the organization that you meet and know and you know can call up for advice i mean even as a young lawyer uh you know you could call up the the older lawyers at the time they've been practicing and they have verdicts and you know they would help you out and answer questions and give you wit give you an expert witness or or just just help in any way they could and you it's just the personal relationship with those other attorneys and it was just wonderful i mean it was a it was a nice group and and still is i, I i'm a little sorry that i've dropped out of it uh, to some degree. I mean, I still try to attend meetings and try to attend the conventions, but uh, yeah, I miss it. It's, it's a good group and, and it, it, you know, good people doing good things. It, it, I'm always amazed and it kind of touches on what you said about the help that everybody gives one another. Uh, these days it's, it's in the list, sir, but whether you need to know a case or whether you need to know how a certain judge handles trials or like you said, looking for an expert, somebody puts something up and, you know, within 10, 15 minutes, you've got attorneys all across the state giving you advice and spending their time trying to help you. That's true. And, 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 you know, of course, that's a fairly recent phenomenon. We, you know, we didn't have the listserv in those days and you, you, you got together at the meetings and you talked or you could call somebody on the phone. Uh, the listserv is great. I see it. I, I would caution people don't just rely on the list, sir. You learn so much when you go do the research. I mean, if you really, you just learn. And not only do you learn, you know, I've never read a, an appellate opinion where I didn't learn, you know, where you're looking for something on a particular issue, where you didn't see three more things that helped you on three different cases. And there's just so such a benefit of doing the research yourself and, and it's good to share it when someone's already done it and share it, but uh, you know, don't just have it given to you. I mean, it, it pays because when you're, if you're going to be in trial and in court and you're, you're on your own there and you're standing in front of the judge, you've got to have that knowledge and information and background. And you may not remember the name of the case, but you can say, judge, I know I read a case that says this. And so the list serves great but it should not be a substitute for, for doing your own research. And you, you led the way, Richard, to my next question. Uh, you've been doing this a long time. You've had a very successful career. What advice would you give to younger lawyers today wanting to get into this line of work and, and that are going down this road uh, that you've went down? You know, it's, it's harder 
it's a lot harder. Uh, you know, I have never advertised, and and I think that's kind of the downfall of the legal profession. But the problem with advertising is it works, and so there's it's it's very hard to get a good case, and and you know when you have to. As a young lawyer, you get a real iffy case. You know, you got my, you got a little dent in the fender, and you got a chiropractic treatment. I mean, those are hard cases. I can't do them. And I'll tell you, those cases were worth more 30 years ago when I practiced than what you can get today on the whiplash, the soft tissue. Um, they're tough, and you know that's the defense counsel's dream to take that case to the limit because they know they're not going to lose. If they do, you're not going to, you know, you may get your medicals and you may get something for pain suffering. And, and it's hard for young lawyers. I mean, to get a good case and mediation works, you know, now, every, you know, we didn't have mediation back in those days. You either settled the case or you didn't. And now you have to mediate one to death. It's hard to get a trial. It takes years sometimes to get a trial, even on a little case. And so I, you know, how do you get trial experience? And you don't, it's not fun, but these people that go and try these soft tissue, I mean, I admire them. They're hard, you're probably gonna lose, and you know, can you afford it? Uh, it's tough, but, but I admire people that do it, and you have to get that experience, so it's tougher today. And you know, if you have one trial a year anymore, man, you, you're, Flying. I mean, it is so hard to get a trial date. And obviously, if you got a good case, they're going to settle it. Uh, not till the end. So it takes a real special case. It takes a special situation, special client to even have a case where you can go to trial. And it's become so expensive and time consuming. Um, it, it, it's, it's so much harder. I mean, it's so much harder. Where in the old days, you could get a little case, you could take one deposition, take your medical doctor's video deposition, and you'd wheel the TV out in front of the jury. That was it. Have somebody testify or two and, and get a decision. It was so easy. And you could, you could do all that six or eight months in a, in a, at least in a rural area. They give you a trial date. I know one place down here uh, in McQuarrie County, you would show up and, uh, uh, there was somebody showed up and he wanted a trial date and the judge did his calendar and said, okay, how about next Wednesday? <laughs> and the judge, this was a defense lawyer actually from out of town. No, 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 no judge. We get, we're not ready that quick, but you know, you could get a trial date and try it. That's kind of lost. So, um, I don't know. Now it's motion practice. Now we prepare for mediation. Um, I don't know. Just hang in there and, and, you know, every once in a while that perfect case comes along and, uh, you know, there's nothing better than, than a jury ruling in your favor. And there's nothing worse when they don't. And, and I've won some and I've lost some. I mean, it, it works both ways. But, you know, I think if you're going to be a trial lawyer, you have to try, try cases and or be able to and be willing to. And, and if, if you don't, I don't think you're getting the value of your case. Um, and I wished it was easier to have trials, but it just gotten harder. 
and more difficult and just, but you just got to do it. You just have to do it. Um, kind of building on that question I've, I've asked pretty much everyone I've talked to, we, you know, we help people during very dark, stressful times often. Um, it's a stressful job. The statistics as far as lawyers, you know, we, we all know this is a stressful position that we put a lot of work in, a lot of hours in constantly away from home. What's helped you over the years just with this kind of work uh, outside of work to, to balance your work and your life? <laughs> I don't know that I ever did. Uh, and, and that's part of the problem is to, you know, really get ahead. I mean, I, yeah, I probably put work before everything. Now, I have mellowed a little over the years and I really love having my daughter works with me and, and actually my son works for me and does investigations and such. Um, you know, I would, I would stay at the office to seven or eight o'clock and then I take work home with me and it, you shouldn't do, don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, enjoy your life. That's one thing this this COVID-19 and I tell people, uh, you know, one of, one of my little tidbits and, and I heard this from somebody else and I wish I remembered who, uh, you know, it's not about the money, but if you, if you do it for the right reason, the money will come. But, Here's, here's my little saying. You make money by the cases you turn down. You can't help everybody. You can't make a case out of everybody. You need to be selective. Um, and, it, and it feels good when you do help that person. Um, but you need to be selective if you can. And that's what, you know, as I've been doing this over the years, I can be a little more selective. And it makes life a whole lot easier. I mean, you know, when you have a good case and, and the other side wanting to settle and, you know, begging, it, it's such a good feeling as opposed to when you have a crappy case. And I've had my share of, uh, you know, that's just the defense counsel's dream. They want to drag you through everything. Uh, and and it, it is nice. And I'm glad I have the luxury after, you know, many, many years where, eh, do I still take tough cases? Yes, I do. I mean, that's part of it. But but I, I would hate to have to go try that little soft tissue whiplash chiropractic case. I mean, I, I'd, get, I'd get my butt kicked just like everybody else probably does. Um, but I do, I do farm. I like going home to my farm and, uh, you know, I pedal around. I'm not, but, you know, feed the cows, do a few things. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, I, I, I love practicing law. And, and I, you know, I may not be the smartest, but no one is going to outwork me on a case. And that's just where I'm not going to let that happen. And like I said, I've, I've lost cases and I've lost terrible cases where I probably shouldn't have lost. And, but, and the only thing that kind of gets you through that is, is knowing that you really, I, I spend a lot of money on cases. I don't, I don't, whatever it takes. It's like throwing money in a fire, but with expert witnesses these days, but you know, whatever it takes and, and just knowing that you've done everything you could do is really the only way you can cope with that. When you lose a case where somebody really was deserving and needing uh, and you can't help them. Um, that's a bad feeling, but I do have, I do have a little bit of an other life, but, but I, I do enjoy, I mean, if I'm going to read a book, it's usually something, you know, like a John Grisham or something, you know. Yeah, I just, I, I'm, 
I'm the same way. My wife says that you only want to read about the law. You only want to watch movies and TV about the law. Yeah. Need other interests. Um, one thing we didn't get to earlier when you were uh, introducing yourself, you're obviously still very active, uh, working extremely hard. What type of cases uh, are you interested in these days as far as where do you look for cases at and what type of cases are you interested in working with other attorneys if they want to contact you? Well, and, and you know, I don't, I'm not doing this to try to solicit business at, at all. Uh, I love working with, and, and not me, but if young attorneys, there's no way better. I mean, that's how I learned how to do cases is by, you know, the first medical case I had, uh, you know, I was a year or two out of law school. And um, I actually worked with Joe Savage, and I worked with Pete Perlman, and you learn so much. Um, it's gotten to where we do a lot of medical cases, and you know, the, the only thing about medical cases, you have to you have to screen out 99 out of 100. I mean, most of them, oh, there's something went wrong, but you just can't you can't invest a year or two of your time and money. Um, so. You know, I really like product cases. Oh, if I could just pick, I'd, I'd do nothing but tractor trailer cases, you know? I mean, Me too. you know, you got insurance and, and usually if there's something, but you know, we're not, we're not on the interstate. We don't, we get that many tractor trailer cases. So uh, right now, and you know, two or three medical cases can take up 50% of your time. They're, they're very, they're not gonna settle easy and quick, if at all. Uh, but, you know, we probably do about a third medical, a third product, and then auto. When we, you know, we still do. Uh, we've had good success with uh, uh, slip and falls and trip and falls where, there, where there's a real injury. Uh, you know, if there's a serious injury and, you know, a good basis for liability, you can make a case there. Uh, one other thing I, w I will say, you know, when you, when you take that case on, contingency fee, you are actually the, the key, the key point out uh, other thing, other than you make cases by the money, uh, by the cases you turn down. The key to a good case is a good client. And we don't always get those, but, but you know, when you take that case on a contingency fee, you're going into business with that person for one or two or three or four years. And you're in a partnership but you're putting up all the time, you're putting up all the money, they're just kind of there. And you just need to think, do I want to go in business with that person for the next two or three years? And knowing, you know, when you, if you're going into partnership in some, you know, grocery store or something, you'd want to know something about that person's morals and, and whether they're honest and whether they're going to uh, lie to you or cheat, which, you know, some clients have been known to do. Uh, so you really need to think about that. And I know this one that Andy Bushaw and I talk about all the time. There is nothing better than having a good client that a jury wants to help. And even a client that the defense counsel sometimes want to help. They know they are a good and deserving client. You're halfway home when you have that case. Uh, but when, when you've got a client, and it can be a deserving client, but when they're, you know, people just don't like them. They rub people the wrong way. Defense counsel don't like them. A jury won't like them. That, that's a hard case. Um, anyway, I've got your question.
And, and I will tell you the big change now, it used to be, it was so hard to gather evidence on, you know, other similar incidents or other cases. Uh, I know uh, ATLA had the information exchange. You could write off and send a letter and get other people to handle some similar cases. Now with the internet, there is so much stuff you can find on anybody. And of course that's where, you know, I'm not, you won't find me on Facebook. And I hate, you know, that's something in every interview when we have a client come in, you on Facebook and I want to look at that Facebook and do it, you know, cause it can get you in trouble. But there is so much information available on the internet about, you know, uh, safer alternative designs or about this doctor having the same problem elsewhere. I mean, there's a lot of information and, you know, you need to find it and it just takes time, but it, it's, out. I always assume it's out there. There's something good for me in my case out there. And if I haven't found it, I just haven't found it yet, but it's there and you just got to keep looking and find it. But anyway, it's, it's you know, I like it, and, and it's more of a game now. Um, you know, the motion practice and arguing over little minor stuff, which we didn't used to do so much. Now it's a battle over, you know, is it going to be a live deposition or a Zoom deposition? And where is it going to take place? And what's the rules? And, you know, wanting – I just we, – we have a good set of civil rules, and I just wish we could just follow them, but it seems like defense counsel, they want to change the rules all the time to make it easier for them. Um, one other thing I'll point out, Kentucky, you know, we don't have the verdicts. I mean, we don't, you know, we get 10% on a jury verdict, what people are going to get in Houston and Miami and California and, and different places. I mean, it's tough here. And, and we've had a lot of nationally known lawyers that get these huge verdicts come into Kentucky. And I will promise you most of them are zeros. I mean, that's just the way it is here. But we do have, we got some of the best law in the, Kentucky, in, in the country. We have great law. Uh, it doesn't help us with the jury, but we have, we have great law in Kentucky. Uh, good, you know, good appellate opinions. We have it pretty good. I mean, there are other states that have it much worse, but there's other places where, like say, you get, you know, it's just 10 times. Whatever we get here, they get 10 times that without any problem. But it's not gonna ha it's just not gonna happen in Kentucky. Richard, I really appreciate your time today. We've went a little longer than I said we would. But like I said, when you know, time just flies, you've got so many stories to tell. and. I've really enjoyed this, and I think everyone that uh, is out there listening to us will enjoy it as well. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, uh, get involved with KJA. And I, and I hate, you know, these COVID times, it's all Zoom involvement, because there's nothing better than, you know, meeting after a seminar, having dinner, having drinks. Hey, let me tell you about this case, and you tell me about your case, and they're, they're just, you get such good ideas. And, but you know, if you're a member, if you're not a member, don't hesitate to pick up the phone and call somebody, cold call them. We old attorneys love telling what we know. You know, I mean, if somebody wants to call and ask about 
well, what would you do in this case or, or expert or how would you handle this? Well, I, I love, it helps me. I mean, it's education, not just for you, but for me. So uh, anyone out there, don't hesitate to call somebody uh, and, and chat and get some ideas. But anyway, I've enjoyed it. You've been great. Thank you, Richard. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Legal Legends of the Bluegrass. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode and will continue to tune in to future episodes.